0: You're listening to the weekly podcast for Hillcrest Covenant Church. For more information, go to hillcrestcovenant.org. Good morning. Hey, a big shout out to you watching online, by the way. Um, I was one of you last week. Uh, Kirsten and I, uh, we... Like to take a little trip together every year in December, and we were on the beaches—not to rub it in—we were in the beaches of Playa del Carmen, Mexico, watching online, and it was—it was awesome. Um, I am so impressed with our um, IT team that we have here, and for the opportunity that we have to—to to be family, even though we're not always in the same room. So. Thank you for that. Um, this morning, I want to start off with a uh, word that I woke up to this morning, uh, and I want to share it with you. And it's a classic Christian saying, and you've probably heard it before. It says this, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good, right? God is good all the time, all the time. All the time. God is good. And, and there are moments in life where it's much easier to sometimes say those words, And there are moments in life where it's not always easy to say those words. And I want to start off this morning by sharing with you a story um, that the Lord put on my heart this morning about a time a little over 10 years ago when it was really hard for me to say those words. Um, I was with a young uh, adult group, and we were on a missions trip, and we were on our way up to a small village in uh, northwest Alaska. And I'll get to this in a second. It's trying to get the attention of you. I'll just sit it right there. So we were flying up to Anchorage, Alaska. And as the plane landed in Anchorage, uh, I turned on my phone. And when I turned on my phone, I noticed that I had multiple missed calls and a long voicemail from a mom in our church who had two kids in our youth ministry. And when I listened to the voicemail, it literally brought me to my knees. A lot of you know Ann Barrow. Uh, Ann and Bruce Barrow were longtime and longtime members here. Bruce passed away last year, and uh, Ann was on uh, the phone, and she was in the back of a squad car, driving as fast as they could to a hospital, because Ann's son, Brian, was in a very horrific car accident. And his life was in danger, and she was calling me because Brian was like a little brother to me. Um, I brought this skateboard up here because Uh, Brian worked at a place called Ride Forever Sports and um, this skateboard was was made in Brian's honor because shortly after Brian made it to the hospital, he passed away and he went to be with the Lord. And, And it was one of those moments where to say the words God is good all the time, I know it was true. I believed it with all my heart, but it was just hard to get those words out. It was hard to get those words out. And shortly after, I I jumped on a plane the next day and shortly after I arrived in Kansas City, uh, I sat down with Ann and Bruce and and we planned out Brian's service. And a few days after that, we ended up um, filling this sanctuary to overflow where people were out in the hallway to celebrate the incredible life Brian lived. And I can say it was an incredible life because nine months before Brian passed away, him and I were out in Colorado with a bunch of our high school students on a trip that we do called High Impact. And when we were in Colorado, one of the evenings, I think it was the last evening that we were there, we were all, the whole group was, was laying on our backs, and we were looking up at the stars. If you've been to the mountains of Colorado and you get outside of the city lights, the stars are just unbelievable. And as we we're looking up at the stars, Brian was sitting right next to me. And he said, hey, Nate, aren't the stars beautiful tonight? which is kind of an odd thing to say as a guy to a guy, but I was like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, they, are, they are beautiful tonight, Brian. And he said, isn't it amazing that God made those stars? I said, yeah, Brian, it's absolutely amazing that God made those stars. And he said, you know what's more amazing? It's the fact that God loves me so much that no matter what I've done in my life, he won't leave my side. And he said, do you mind if we have a moment right now to just pray, because I've never asked the Lord to be the Lord of my life. And I feel like I need to do that right now. And so Brian and I, in the moment of being in Buena Vista, Colorado, at Noah's Ark, just paused, surrounded by a bunch of his colleagues and friends, and Brian opened his life up to the Lord. And to be able to stand in front of Brian's friends in this very spot, when Brian wasn't with us anymore at his memorial service. And to be able to share that with his friends and remind them that we don't just go to heaven to be with Jesus by accident. It's a decision that we make. And when we make that decision, it doesn't always mean that life is easy. It doesn't always mean that that life goes just perfect the rest of the way. It means that we're promised that it's going to get hard. And yet God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And the reality is, is that, We all go through painful situations in life. Every one of us. It's a guarantee. Life is not easy. As a church, we know that full well right now. But I'm telling you guys, God is so good. He's so good. And he's not just good. When someone leans over and says, I want to give my life to the Lord, he's good all the time. And he's good right now in this moment. And as we go through painful situations, oftentimes it's moments like Christmas time that can intensify those difficult and painful feelings that we sometimes feel. Highs become higher, but lows sometimes become lower. Lonely becomes more alone. Empty becomes more empty. And people are in pain. And ironically, Christmas can tend to magnify it. So the question I have for us this morning is this, and it's simple. Where do we find comfort and joy? Where do you and I find comfort and joy in the midst of the pain that we're going through? And unfortunately, unfortunately, there are a couple of not-so-helpful cliches that sometimes people like to use in difficult and painful moments that we go through in life. When people, people say things like, well, don't worry, everything happens for a reason? Where people say, well, maybe it just wasn't meant to be. Those are not helpful words in the midst of pain, in the midst of difficulty. You see, when you've had a tragedy in your life and you're not spending Christmas with someone that you're close to, not only do those cliches not help, they're downright offensive or when there's an intense conflict in some of your key relationships that you have in life, words like that don't help at all. Or when we go through what we're going through right now as a church, words like that fall short. But here's the reality. There's this sense of confusion that forces us to ask their very real question when it feels like the world around us is caving in when it feels like comfort and joy is the furthest thing from what we're experiencing, it's easy to ask the question, where is God in all of this? And I'm so thankful that we have his word. I'm so thankful that we have God's word that we can open up to, that we can open up. I'm so thankful that as a church, God's word is foundation for who we are as people. That in the midst of heartache and pain, We don't rely on our opinions or really lame cliches. We get to open up God's word. And we get to trust it. We get to trust it. And what I want to do this morning is I want to just look together at a small little slice of the Christmas story. The part right after Mary tells Joseph that she's pregnant. Which, if we're honest, probably was kind of an awkward situation, right? Okay, let's just be honest, all right? Mary, this this is just me, so I'm not just giving my interpretation of how I think that might have went, but I could imagine uh, Joseph uh, walking into a room and Mary looking at Joseph and saying, "Uh, honey, I've got something to tell you, and I think you should probably sit down because what I'm going to tell you might shock you. I'm kind of pregnant, which I know you can't be kind of pregnant, but just in my head, I'm kind of pregnant. And not only am I pregnant, but I am pregnant with what? The son of God. And I'm quite confident again that Joseph's response when Mary shared this news with him was not, oh, blessed Mary, the love of my life. You are so wonderful. Let's go celebrate this news together with a peppermint mocha down at the Starbucks down the street or Like, No, she wasn't like that. Or he wasn't like that. No, man. Like, this was so much bigger than a cup of Starbucks or whatever they drank back then could handle. You see, it says in the text, actually, that Mary and Joseph were pledged to be married. Or older versions use the word betrothed or betrothed. I don't use that word very often, so it's hard to pronounce (laughs) it. And this word refers to an ancient Jewish custom where marriages were oftentimes arranged by parents with or without their children's approval. And the two sets of parents would meet and they would draw up a formal marriage contract. And when the contract was signed, the man and the woman were legally pledged to be married to each other. And oftentimes this period of engagement of being pledged to each other would last up to a year. And at the end of this time, there would be a formal ceremony and the couple would be married. And now this is the part, though, I think, that that, makes this story kind of interesting. Because Mary and Joseph were pledged to be married, according to Deuteronomy chapter 22, if a woman was found to be pregnant during this engagement, that could only mean that she had been unfaithful to her husband, in which case the law the law, said that she should be stoned to death. And clearly that was bad news, especially when you're carrying the Messiah in your womb. And so you think about it, Joseph had a dilemma. Joseph had a dilemma that he was in. By the way, Joseph and Mary are thought to be teenagers. They were young. And so here you have Joseph. He's a teenager. He's deeply in love. He can't wait to get married. And suddenly, his bride-to-be turns up to be pregnant. And all he knows is that he's not the father and that his fiance is claiming that the Holy Spirit is the one that got her pregnant. You can imagine... You can imagine what it would be like to be Joseph. You can imagine what it would be like to think of the words that must have been going through his head in this painful moment. My guess is that there was lots of anger. There was lots of confusion. Frustration. Embarrassment. Shame. Rage. Disappointment. On a side note, isn't it interesting that a lot of those words go through our heads when we go through difficult moments, when we have hard things that come into our life? I know those words oftentimes go through my head. And so, what do you do if you're in Joseph's shoes or sandals or whatever he was wearing? Well, the Bible says that because Joseph was a righteous man and wanted to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, I love that. It says he wanted to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, and so he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. That is until some divine backup showed up in Joseph's life. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 24, it says this, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. You see the Christmas story, it doesn't always read with the cuteness like a church Christmas program sometimes portrays it to be. You see the whole Christmas story actually seems kind of wild, it seems messy, it seems awkward. It seems a little bit out of control. And if we're honest, quite painful. The reality is that Joseph and Mary, they had a plan for their life. They were engaged to be married. They had big plans and even bigger dreams. That is until God showed up and threw him a curveball with his plans and his dreams for their life. In the book of Luke, we see that God sends an angel to Mary. And when the angel shows up, the angel uses the words calling Mary favored one. He said, you are highly favored. You are going to give birth to a son. And that son is going to be the king. And he's going to be the son of God and rule forever. In essence, you are going to deliver the deliverer. You talk about a crazy gender reveal party that God had or that the angel had with Mary? That had to be mind-blowing. And now think about this for a moment. Now that Joseph knew, other people needed to find out as well. After learning that they were pregnant, Mary and Joseph now had to go and awkwardly explain to family and to friends that she's pregnant before they're actually married. Again, this is just me, but I can just imagine the setting. Mary says, says she, she says to her family and friends, hey, everyone, gather around. I want to share with you some news, right? And then she looks at Joseph, again, just in my head, but go with it. She says to Joseph, okay, Joseph, why don't, why don't you tell them? And Joseph, probably being a typical guy, probably says something to the effect of, of uh, no, I am not gonna get blamed for this one. I did not do anything, right? (laughs) And so the Mary speaks up and she shares with people that she's pregnant. Nobody would have believed it. Nobody would have believed it. I'm sure Mary and Joseph were thinking at this moment, come on angel. Come on, angel, come on, divine backup, show up right now and get my back. And the story doesn't get any better for Mary and Joseph because it was census time and they had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem to fill out paperwork. In the text, it says, at this point, Mary was described as obviously pregnant. I thought that was funny. She's, considered, she's described as obviously pregnant, which, by the way, for the younger crowd in the room, okay, don't ever ask a woman if she's pregnant. Okay, don't go there. It doesn't matter if she's 10 months pregnant. You can hear the baby <laughs> screaming from the womb. Do not ask a woman if she's pregnant. But Mary is called obviously pregnant. And they have to travel a 70-mile journey That would have taken five or six days, depending on road conditions, weather, average donkey speed. It was definitely not a joy ride. Especially when you're obviously pregnant. And then apparently when they arrive in Bethlehem, there's no room in the Holiday Inn Express. So Mary has to give birth to the Messiah in a stinky stable full of animals. Question for you. What do you think Mary was thinking at the time? At this very moment? I bet it went something like this. Hey God, whatever happened to that little misfavored one? And then just when you think the story can't get any crazier or messier or more difficult or full of pain, the story takes another crazy turn. Because they have to go on a run. Not to get exercise, but because King Herod was killing babies, two and under. Because he was threatened from all this Jesus the King rumors. And so now they have to flee to Egypt. They become refugees and they return and they can't return to their hometown. Can you hear the cry of Mary's pain? I certainly can. Again, I imagine her saying something like, God, this seems so unfair. What are you doing? This isn't how I envision my life going. Hillcrest, the Christmas story, it seems so peaceful and cute from a distance, but in reality, it was one surrounded with tons of pain and many difficult moments of wonder. I want to get personal for a moment. I want to ask you another question. Where do you find comfort and joy? Where do you find comfort and joy in the midst of your questions, confusion, discomfort, and pain? I believe that the Bible, God's word, gives us the answer to this question. And it's found in one word. Emmanuel. I believe that the answer to the question of where we can go when we're struggling with our questions, when we're struggling with doubt, when we're struggling with discomfort, when we are filled with pain is found in one word. It's Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, Christmas is the presence of comfort. Christmas is God saying, I am here with you. I'm here. I'm closer than you might think. You are not alone. Emmanuel is here. And right now, you might be saying, but God, I'm hurting so bad. (laughs) But God, my family is out of control. God, I'm so scared about what the future might bring. God, I'm so lonely. God, I don't understand you at all right now. God, it seems like our church is falling apart right in front of us. You see, even in these moments, even in these hard moments when we are honest with God with those questions, you know what he just says back to us? He says, I know. And I'm right here with you. I'm Emmanuel. You see, the actual word comfort, you know what it means? It means to be called alongside. It literally is this idea that God comes alongside of you and with me to walk with us and to encourage us in all moments of our life, including this very moment right now. Hillcrest, comfort is here, and comfort is now. We don't have to look for it. We don't have to run to find it. It is literally right here with us in the form of Emmanuel. You see, the key word for comfort is here. The key word for comfort is here. With some people, comfort can tend to be come here, but with Jesus... He says, no, 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 I'm here. And this is why I want us to get this so badly this morning as a church. Because Jesus is here. We don't have to talk about him like he's off in some distant land. Comfort is God with us. In your pain, Jesus is whispering to you, I am right here. As we close today, I want to share just a little bit about the word comfort. And I wanted to use a passage from 2 Corinthians because I think this is perfect for us as a church, but also for us as individuals as we deal with the pain and the struggle in our life. And as I read this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I want you to count in your head how many times you hear the word comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-7 says this, praise be, to God, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed Nine times we see the word comfort used. I think there's a theme. And so as we close today, I want to share with us three reminders from this text that I believe all of us in this room need to hear right now. The first reminder is this. God with us is our true and only source of comfort. When pain appears, And it will, and it has. There's a strong desire in each of us to seek comfort in things. I don't know who can relate, but for me, I can find comfort in a lot of things. Be honest direct TV sports packages, NFL Sunday ticket, my phone, staying busy, fantasy football. Those are all things that really matter, right? Not really. And more than likely, you have ways that you seek comfort. But the reality is, is that many of us have become experts and really good at pursuing and relying on false forms of comfort when we're in pain. Because we want to pause the pain. But all of these forms of comfort, they help us feel good sometimes in the moment. But you and I know full well that it only numbs the feeling of grief or pain or sadness. And you might say, Nate, what's the big deal? Like, what's the big deal with my guilty pleasure if it makes the pain disappear? Well, number one, you and I full know, know full well that it doesn't disappear, that the pain doesn't go away when we seek things outside of what the Lord wants for our life. And second, it creates this false security in our life. You see... If we're gonna live for the temporary pleasures of life, we won't fully experience the deep love and joy and comfort that only God can provide. You see, Christmas is the presence of real comfort. Emmanuel, God with us, Christ in me. Jesus is saying, I am here. Find your comfort from my presence. Find your comfort from my presence. The second reminder <clears throat> is that God shares in our suffering. When you're in pain, it's easy to think that nobody understands the pain that you're going through. Many times we can easily think that Jesus couldn't even understand the pain that we're going through. He wouldn't understand what it means to be abandoned, to be forgotten, to be betrayed by friends, because he lived a perfect life, right? Right? But when you look at the cross, when you look at what Jesus went through on the cross, you and I can see that God absolutely 100% understands pain. When we see the cross, we see physical pain, we see emotional pain, we see relational pain. You see on the cross, Jesus cried out to his father, what? Why have you abandoned me? At the cross, the perception was that evil was winning. Like God's plans were totally messed up. But you and I know that on the third day, what happened? We celebrate. Because he rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered death. He defeated the power and the grips of sin. And in doing so, he set us free. He set the captives free. The cross Jesus died on says to you and to me, I know all your pain. I am Emmanuel. Emmanuel. I am here. And the third reminder is that a comforted, changed life can be used to comfort others. Who do you think understands what it means to lose a friend or what it means to make bad decisions in life or the pain from a divorced family, the anguish of never getting along with your mom and dad? Or what it means to lose someone close to you. It's someone who's gone through it. Who's experienced God's comfort in the midst of these difficult, horrible moments in life. I mentioned Ann Barrow earlier. And not too long after Brian passed away, there was another kid from East, Shawnee Mission East, who tragically passed away as well. His name was Tyler. Tyler. And I remember sitting with Tyler's family. They didn't have a church connection, and so we just reached out to them as a church. And they took us up for our offer to come in and just meet with us. And so I remember sitting in my office with Tyler and his family. And guess who walked in the door? Ann Beryl. Ann Beryl walked in the door, and she sat down with the Rathburn family and she provided words of encouragement that I couldn't even provide. I couldn't look at them and say, I know exactly what you've gone through because I haven't gone through something like that. I hope I never will. But you knew who had? It was Ann. And Ann was able to minister and care for this family in ways that I couldn't do. She was able to provide comfort for them in this painful moment that they were going through. A comforted, changed life can comfort other people. I like to call these kind of people been there people. They've been there. They're wounded healers. They've experienced difficult things in life. And guys, that's why we need each other so much. That's why we don't need to run from each other right now in the midst of the pain. We need to run towards each other. As a church, we need to link arms together. You and I are part of this incredible symphony of messed up, broken people. The church is not a solo act. Your pain can help other people. My pain can help other people. And in following Jesus, we were never designed to do this alone. I love John 14 when we're reminded where Jesus talks. He says, I have given you an advocate to be with you always. To never leave you the Holy Spirit. You see, Emmanuel, God's presence, it brings us comfort. It always does. Presence always wins. Presence wins. And because of that, we're reminded over and over and over again in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our heartache, that we can actually say the words that I said at the beginning. God is good all the time. All the time what? God is good. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this family. God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to just be in your presence. God, I thank you for Emmanuel, God, with us. God, we need you right now. God, we trust in you. Every step of this way, Lord, we are looking to your presence. God, I thank you so much for your love, for your pursuit. And God, right now, I even think of the people watching online and the people here with us right now that might be thinking like Brian was thinking. Man, God's doing something in my life right now and I want to respond to him. And if that's you, I want to just invite you to open up your heart to the Lord right now. I want to invite you to open up your life like Brian did. To open up your life and to ask Jesus to come in, for Emmanuel to be near, to come in and and invade every part of your life. And be your Lord and Savior. Invite him in. Open that door. So, Lord, we thank you for this morning. And God, as we continue to worship, I pray, Father, that you continue to remind us that you are right here with us. Emmanuel. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Hillcrest.